This faith and finance podcast is underwritten in part by One Ascent. God has created every single person and every square inch with immeasurable dignity. And every day, businesses impact these people and places in powerful ways, either causing them harm or helping them flourish. Our trusted sponsor, One Ascent, exists to help investors consider who a business impacts and how they're impacted. More than likely, your values inspire why you invest, whether it's to provide for your family, put your kids through college, or prepare for the next stage of life. One Ascent believes your values can also inspire how you invest by directing your investment capital into companies that positively impact the world. Whether you invest on your own or work with an advisor, One Ascent's comprehensive values-aligned solutions seek to help you do well by doing good. To explore a new way of investing that aligns with your values, visit oneascent.com. Click on Analyze My Investments on the homepage to tailor your portfolio to what truly matters to you. For more than a quarter century, financial advisors have used the 4% rule for retirement withdrawals. So why change it now? I am Rob West. Some advisors are now saying 4% may be too high, while the man who wrote the rule says it's too low. We'll weigh into the debate today, and then it's on to your calls and questions at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. Glad to have you along for another edition of Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Okay, we'll start by consulting God's Word about saving and spending, which lays down a basic principle. Proverbs 21.20 tells us, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. We certainly don't want to be foolish, so choosing the right percentage that we can withdraw from our holdings each year in retirement is important, to say the least. Too little, and you may not be able to meet your expenses. Too much, and you run the risk of running out of funds during retirement. Now, you might be curious about where the 4% rule came from in the first place. Way back in 1994, investment advisor Bill Bengen published an article that detailed how and why he was recommending to his clients that they only withdraw 4% a year from their assets in retirement. Bingen said he created his 4% rule based on a hypothetical investor who retired in October 1968 and was promptly hit with an extended bear market and high inflation. In other words, a worst case scenario. And even though you might be tempted to think history is repeating itself now, Bingen believes that by tweaking asset allocation, a retiree would actually be safe withdrawing up to 4.7% annually, as he is doing now. To be fair, he's suggesting that 4.5% would be safer until we see what inflation will do in the near future. So, how did Bengen arrive at the new 4.7% figure? Well, he says it's due to the greater gains he's seen by adding small and micro-cap asset classes to his portfolio. He says that increased volatility, but also gains, which made his 4.7% calculation possible. 
Besides the benefit of increasing the rate of withdrawal in retirement, the new rule also allows the retiree to reduce asset allocation in stocks over bonds. The old 4% rule is based on a 50 to 70% stock allocation, which could make many retirees jittery. The new higher withdrawal rate of 4.7% over the long haul is based on an ideal stock allocation of only 55 to 60%. Bingen says having less than that in equities will lower your return enough to make the 4.7% unworkable, but having more than that will create enough volatility to also threaten your safe withdrawal rate. But not all investing experts are as optimistic as Bengen. In fact, Morningstar is now suggesting that the old 4% rule is too high a withdrawal rate for the times. They're recommending that figure be reduced to just 3.3%. Remember that the goal is to have enough built up to last for a 30-year retirement, say from age 65 to 95. Market returns and inflation will no doubt fluctuate a great deal over that time, but in the end, they should balance out. And whether you use 3.34 or 4.7% as your safe withdrawal rate in retirement, they all assume that percentage of your portfolio will be enough to live on when Social Security is added to the mix. Anyone contemplating an early retirement will need a great deal more in assets or a lower withdrawal rate or both. That certainly won't be easy. Some investment advisors suggest that maximum diversification is one way to overcome the uncertainty of bear markets and inflation. That means not just having a broad spectrum of stocks and bonds, but also having several different buckets of retirement holdings. Some might be in a 401k or traditional IRA with their tax-deferred benefit. Some could also be in a Roth IRA that's funded with after-tax money but allows for tax-free withdrawals. Some equity holdings could be income-producing, some dividend-paying. I realize that all of this can get pretty confusing, so here I'd like to make the case for having an experienced financial advisor help you with your retirement investing. Whether you're already retired or you're still working, we strongly believe believe in the Certified Kingdom Advisor designation. With a CKA, you'll not only have an experienced advisor, but one who shares your Christian values. Go to faithfi.com and click Find a CKA. That's faithfi.com. Click Find a CKA. Much more to come just around the corner, including your questions. Stay with us. God's Word is packed with life-changing wisdom about your finances. And Faith and Finance is here to help you and many others to be wise stewards of God's resources. We rely on help from Faith and Finance patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Please consider becoming a monthly Faith and Finance patron. Visit faithfi.com and click Give on the homepage. We're grateful for support from Eventide Investments on the Faith and Finance Program. Eventide's approach to values-based investing is grounded in the belief that humankind was created in the image of God with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Eventide calls this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at eventideinvestments.com. That's eventideinvestments.com.
thankful to have you along with us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West, your host. Hey, the phone lines are building up. That's right. Uh, We've only got a few left. So if you have a financial question today, we'd love for you to get in the queue. 800-525-7000. We'll take as many questions as we can. Uh, Let's jump right in. Hartford, Connecticut. Hi, Beverly. Thanks for calling. Go ahead. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Oh, and hi to the little one in the back. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have, um, we at least, it was a couple of, um, three of us, um, we had went on a vacation in um, Orlando. And they ended up that we um, bought a timeshare and um, was told that we could um, sell it or cancel it, not really cancel any time because they give you a certain amount of time to cancel. But you can sell it if you, you know, want it, want it to. But now that um, we want to give it up, and they are telling us that we cannot um, give it up, and we can't um, sell it until we finish paying up for it, which we had bought it in August of last year. Yeah. So can you so give you me got... advice on that? Sure. Uh, Let me ask you, Beverly, was there anything in the contract or the agreement that you signed that spoke to this issue of how you were to go about selling it if you wanted to? No, they, um, no. Okay. Yeah. So the the challenge here is, you know, I I really don't ever get caught. I'm sure there's people out there who bought timeshares and love them. I just don't hear from them. So we hear from people all the time that really want to get out of these, which should should serve as a warning to those who are considering it, just to make sure that you are going to use it and that you have a way to get out of it. Because obviously those that are selling these timeshares want to look for new sales. They are not as interested in making a market for people who already have timeshares to sell them to others because there's not any commissions, you know, built into that process. So often they are very difficult to unload. And most of the time, the company that sold it to you has no incentive to buy it back or to try to help you get it sold. So I would always start with the documents that you signed just to see what rights you have and what commitments they made uh, to be a party to allowing you to sell it and how you might go about that. Or if there's a prohibition against selling it prior to uh, getting it paid off in full. Ideally, what you would do would be somebody find somebody who'd be willing to take on the payments so that they could use it and enjoy it, but basically pick up from where you left off. Uh, worst case scenario, you'd continue paying it until it's paid, and then you'd find somebody to either buy it or just take it uh, away from you, and they would agree at that point to take on the maintenance expense. But you'd have to ensure that in doing so, you are transferring that responsibility because if you retain that contractual responsibility to keep the maintenance fees paid and they fail to do so, it may actually be you that's still on the hook for that. So you'd need to to look into that. Uh, a couple of thoughts is I would always start uh, with an attorney looking at the sales contract. Uh, beyond that, uh, I would, you know, perhaps talk to the management company that sold it to you, see if they have a way for you to sell it. Uh, you can check out a website on the internet. It's at tug2.com, T-U-G, and the number 2.com. Uh, that stands for Timeshare Users Group. 
And it's a community of timeshare owners who offer advice and share their experience. And uh, one of the first things they'll tell you is never pay any upfront fees when you're trying to sell your timeshare. Uh, Some companies want you to pay before they take you on as a client. Don't do it. Uh, You can also try uh, to see if you can find somebody in that marketplace that would be willing to take it on or buy it. Sometimes there are folks looking to buy them in there. And then, as I mentioned, you can look at giving it back to the company. It's called a deed back. But again, for that to work, it has to be paid off, to your point, and you can't owe any back fees or taxes. If you did it that way with the deed back, then you would be getting out of any further responsibility for it, which is obviously key. So I think those are your next steps. Unfortunately, there's not going to be a simple way to go about this, but I do think you need to you know, explore those to see if you can find a way forward. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, very good. So I think your next steps are review the contract, perhaps with an attorney, check out tug2.com, see if you can do a deed back. But again, that's going to mean that you got to pay it off in full. So that might take some time and then find out uh, if you could give it away and transfer that responsibility to someone else. Thanks for your call, Beverly. Keep us posted on how this goes. Uh, Let's see. Let's head to uh, Tampa. uh, Excuse me, Tennessee. Tammy, you're up next. Go ahead. Yes, I am 64 years old, and I have some debt. It's basically credit cards and then uh, some uh, loans. It's pay, buy now, pay later loans. Okay. Uh, And I'm wanting to find out what, what my best recourse is to get these paid off. Should I take out a loan or just what I had thought is just, get a hold of them and say, I'm uh, paying off these bills at one at a time. Once I get one paid, you know, I, that's, I don't want to get further in debt. So this is what I'd like to do. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I certainly understand that. And you're living on a fixed income, which makes it challenging, Tammy. Uh, do you have anything set aside in what I would call an emergency fund so we can break the cycle of charging when the unexpected comes, even 500 or a thousand dollars? No. Okay. I think you've got to start there. Uh, When all your bills are paid, and again, I realize it's tight, but when all your bills are paid, including the minimum payments on all these cards, um, what do you have left over at the end of the month? About a hundred, if even that. Okay. All right. So I would probably, you know, take a couple of months and try to build up a little bit of a cushion, maybe a couple of hundred dollars, just so if something comes out of left field that you weren't planning, we're not going back to the credit cards because we've got to break that cycle. And I realize this is challenging. I'm not saying it's easy, but I want to get out of using these cards once and for all. Uh, How much do you owe on the credit cards? Uh all altogether, my bills are no more than seven thousand, maybe not even five thousand. And that's the debt that you have. Yeah, these are okay. credit cards that have they'll give you three hundred. I have very bad credit, so it sees where they're trying to build your credit again. You will give you three hundred dollars, and then it just doesn't work. I end up getting myself in trouble. Yeah, yeah, we don't need to do that anymore. Um, so somewhere between five and seven thousand. Does that include the buy n- buy now pay later? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, 
what I would do from here, Tammy, is I would contact my friends at Christian Credit Counselors. Here's the thing. my The best approach for this is not to try to take out a new loan uh, because that's going to take the pressure off. And if we haven't solved the underlying issue, the credit card debt's going to come back. What we need to do is get the interest rates down so that more of what you're sending every month is going toward principal. And we need to find one fixed monthly payment, a level payment, so that as the balance comes down, we're still still sending the same amount that fits in your budget, but that snowball effect of sending a, a larger percentage of the balance every month is going to let you pay that off 80% faster. I'd like to start there. These are godly people who work with folks who are in credit card debt every day. And the combination, again, of getting that interest rate down plus one fixed monthly payment that fits in your budget is going to allow you to actually make some progress as opposed to right now where you're probably just treading water. So if you're comfortable going on the Internet, go to ChristianCreditCounselors.org. If you're not, stay on the line and my team will give you the phone number. Thanks for calling today. All the best to you, Tammy. This is Faith and Finance, 800-525-7000. We've got some lines open. I'm Rob West, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. If you enjoy this radio program, you're going to love all of the many different resources waiting for you at faithfi.com. You'll find more powerful wisdom, podcasts, articles, videos, and more from partners like the National Christian Foundation, Sound Mind Investing, and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Connect with the community of thousands of Christians striving to be good and faithful stewards and check out all of the free biblical financial advice at faithfi.com. We are grateful for support from Praxis Mutual Funds. Praxis Mutual Funds has seven impact strategies that are designed to create positive real-world change. More information is available at PraxisMutualFunds.com. The fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses are contained in the prospectus and summary prospectus. This and other information is available at PraxisMutualFunds.com. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Foreside Fund Services, LLC. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West, your host. We're taking your calls and questions. Got a couple of lines open, 800-525-7000 to Shreveport, Louisiana. Nancy, how can I help you? Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, My question is whether it would hurt my credit rating to close a MasterCard that was taken out in November last year when I was trying to get out of a timeshare. And this was part of the the deal. I I ended up getting out of that contract. Great. But the the MasterCard still still came, and I have not even activated it, but just didn't know whether that would hurt to just go ahead and close it. You know, it wouldn't, Nancy. Um, But one thing you may want to do is just pull a copy of your credit reports, which will be no cost to you at annualcreditreport.com. That's the government's website where you can access your credit reports through the three bureaus, Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, and just see if that's showing as an open account. It's probably not. Uh, Given the fact that you never activated it, it uh, probably is not even showing as an open account. But in the event that it is, 
is, or you would just feel better calling them and saying, listen, you know, regardless, I want you to consider this closed. I don't plan to activate it. You could certainly do that. That's not going to negatively impact you. Anything that would have temporarily reduced your score would have already happened. Uh, so, for instance, the inquiry that would have been done into your credit to see whether you could qualify for that new loan, that would have reduced your score slightly. That's in the past now. Um, and the fact that this was never opened, it means that that was never added to your total available credit, which is now being removed. So there's really not going to be any uh, effect on you on this. So you could either just call them and talk to the company about it or pull your credit reports to see if in fact it's even listed and you may find that it isn't. Okay. Okay. Well, on the, the thing that I get from the bank that is supposedly something like from TransUnion, it, it yeah. is showing up on that. Okay. But, and is um, it showing as an open account? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then I would call them and just let them know that you don't have any use for it. You'd like to go ahead and close it. That's not going to impact you negatively. It's not like it's an older account that has a long history that's being taken away or, uh, you know, anything like that. Are you carrying a balance on any other cards? Uh, no, I pay them off okay. as I okay. each month. Yeah. So the, yeah, the only factor would just be if this is showing as an open account, then that available credit is a part of your credit utilization, which what you're charging every month, even though you're paying it off, if you pay it off after the end of the cycle date, the total charges for the month are showing up on your credit report. And the percentage of those charges to all of the credit you have available to you, if that rises over 30%, that will reduce your score. And so if by taking this one out of the mix, that causes those monthly charges to trip up, you know, over that 30% threshold, that's the only way this could impact you negatively. Beyond that, there really isn't another way. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, thank you you, very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Nancy. Absolutely. Thanks for calling. Uh, To Plainfield, Illinois. Hi, Addie. Go right ahead. How can I help you? Hi. Thank you for taking my call and all your advice. Um, Thank you. So my question is, um, I'm 60 years old, and uh, through work, uh, the financial people that help us through work, uh, they advised me to open, I believe it was like a Roth IRA or something, because okay. it has to be open for five years prior yeah. to me uh, moving anything into it. But I didn't understand what they meant. So I have opened an IRA with Schwab, but there's nothing in it yet. I haven't funded it yet, but I don't know the purpose of it, like why I did that. Yeah, I'm a little confused on that, too. The five-year rule on Roths says that you have to wait five years before withdrawing any converted balances or withdrawing any contributions uh, in order to be able to get the tax-free withdrawal after 59 and a half. Uh, It shouldn't have anything to do with you contributing to that Roth. Uh, Do you have a company-sponsored plan at work? Yes. So I I guess he told me that, I guess that, I guess once I retire, I guess to be able to move my money into something, I guess that plan had been open for five years. I see. Okay, yeah. So if you're going to roll a Roth 401k in or convert it, then you would have it open. So that's fine. Yeah, you can just let it sit there and wait until your retirement. That's going to start that clock running. So uh, that's probably what he was getting after. And that makes sense to me. So I appreciate you calling today. That sounds like a good plan. Uh, Durant, Iowa. Hi, Grace. Go right ahead. Hi. 
So I'm selling a farm privately, and the contract was drawn up, you know, by our lawyer, but uh, I need to know how about reporting this on my income and, you know, there's being interest paid each month by the buyer and do they need a 1099 interest form? And if so, how do we get that or? Yes. Uh, Well, first of all, so they have been renting it from you uh, or have you been holding a mortgage on it? How are you getting the interest prior to the sale? Oh, they were just renting. I see. Okay. Yeah. So that would be, uh, you know, reported on your taxes. Ultimately, when you sell it, you're going to pay capital gains on it. And that's reported on Schedule D uh, of your 1040. And if as long as you have income as a single filer in 2023, uh, over $44,625 and less than $459,000, you'll pay a 15% long-term capital gain rate if you held that property more than a year. Uh, are you selling it to them this year? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've it, been paying you know, the whole year. Okay. All right. Very good. But But the sale to them, you're actually selling them the property. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So then the, uh, the difference between the selling price and the cost basis would be your gain. And as long as you hold, held that for more than a year, that would be reported on Schedule D as capital gains. And then uh, you would report the interest uh, that you took in as well. And uh, you'd not be able to offset that um, you know, with any uh, expenses, but you'd report that as well. And, um, you know, on your taxes. So I think uh, this is the year if you don't normally use a tax preparer to do that, just to make sure that you take full advantage of any deductions, especially as you're calculating that cost basis to determine, you know, what your true cost basis is versus your selling price. Um, you know, I, I would work with your CPA or accountant, or if you don't have one, I'd connect with one this year just to make sure that all of that is filed appropriately. Uh, all the best to you, Grace. Congrats on uh, this upcoming sale. I'm sure that uh, is exciting for you. Thanks for calling today. Well, folks, uh, we are about out of time today, but we appreciate so much all of your calls. You know, here's what we want to do each day on this broadcast. We want to understand God's heart as it relates to our money. Because we know there's 2,300 verses in God's Word that deal with money and possessions. And the reason for that is because there's so much to say about our money and our hearts and ultimately our walk with the Lord. Would you come back and join us tomorrow? We'll be here for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.